0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode four of the Rattle Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jesse Friedman, alongside Jeff Weiser, and we are your hosts here on the Rattle. Excited to join you once again here on the show. And Jeff, the Diamondbacks are coming off a pretty solid week once again. They seem to just kind of keep on rolling here as we finish out the month of April. It is April the 30th. As we speak at the moment, the Diamondbacks are 16-13. and They are coming off back-to-back losses against the Chicago Cubs. Uh, they lost a uh, bit of a bit of a rough game on Saturday, nine to one. That was ugly in pretty much all facets of the baseball game. And then on Sunday, uh, they lost a bit of a heartbreaker, six to five in fifteen innings, uh, second longest game in Chase Field history, at, uh, just under five hours and forty minutes. Uh, I stayed up all night long here in Budapest local time. I think it was about 4 a.m. by the time that game finished. uh, Diamondbacks lost that one, which was a little bit hard for me to take after I stayed up as long as I did. Um, But the Diamondbacks did uh, drop those last two games uh, going into the weekend. Uh, But prior to that, the Diamondbacks continued to roll. They swept the Pirates all four games there. Uh, The Diamondbacks won, which just continued a streak of what I believe is now 10 consecutive wins at that stadium, which is pretty impressive for the Diamondbacks, uh, and then they also uh, beat the Cubs in that first game of the series on Friday. So as we speak right now, Diamondbacks are 16 and 13, two and a half games behind the Dodgers in the NL West. Uh, Jeff, 16 and 13. As we are about to turn the calendar into May, by all accounts, pretty impressive for the Diamondbacks so far.
1: Yeah, I mean, let's let's just talk about let's just talk briefly about who they've had to play since the beginning of the season. I mean, right. it was always going to be a little bit of a, you know, a tough start to the season. They opened with four with the Dodgers and then and the Padres have not been bad. They got Boston. Um the Padres again, the Braves are, you know, a quality team. Uh the Cubs are obviously a team that has postseason aspirations, same with the Pirates even though they've, you know, kind of been hit by the injury bug and you know, now they'll kind of cap off the first you know, month, if you will. I know we, we sort of started in late March, but um, now they get the Yankees. So, you know, if you can take a winning record from from that group of opponents, uh, you, you got to you gotta take that and love it. Um, you know, they, they have only played four against the Dodgers, which means there's plenty of games looming. But, you know, definitely an encouraging, encouraging start to the year.
0: Another thing that's been encouraging for the Diamondbacks is that over this last week, Eduardo Escobar, the Diamondbacks' third baseman, all-around utility player, he was the National League Player of the Week, and for a good reason. You look at the numbers that this guy put up over the course of the last week. He had three home runs. Uh, he batted well over 400 on the week. And Eduardo Escobar, I think, was, at least for me, was one of the more concerning guys during spring training. He, he looked very, very lackluster in his time before the season started. And as the season started, really nothing changed. He looked like the same spring training, about 150 hitting Eduardo Escobar that we had seen uh, in the the month prior, right after the season started. So uh, Eduardo Escobar had a very rough start to the season. I think some people were a little bit concerned, me included, that maybe what happened last year, as good of a season as he had with the Twins and the Diamondbacks, I started to wonder if maybe that was more of a blip on the radar, maybe something that wasn't necessarily going to last, uh, but with this week that he has just had, Eduardo Escobar, you look at the numbers on the whole for the season, and they're starting to look quite good once again. If you compare his numbers this year with what he did last year, uh really pretty similar across the board, maybe even a little bit better this year uh, as he's hitting 286 with five home runs, 17 RBIs. Uh, suddenly... Jeff Eduardo Escobar has really turned things around, and he has done so in quite a hurry.
1: Yeah, I think when we when we look at players and we sort of like assess the panic level, sometimes um, the fact that a guy is a veteran, the fact that a guy is, has been in the big leagues as long as Escobar has, does provide like a little bit of confidence that um, you know they'll get it back. I mean, I think when to somewhat of a you know it's maybe not the best comparison but when we think about a guy like christian walker when he sort of went into a slump we were like um you know what exactly do we make of this because he doesn't have i mean he has an extensive triple a record but he doesn't have an extensive minor or major league record so you kind of worry a little bit more there i think with escobar you're just kind of waiting for things to even out um i think it's evened out a little more quickly than i'd anticipate um but you noted the five home runs on the year. I mean, he hit three of them in the last week. So yeah, he's been, um, he's been remarkable and he's a guy that they're going to continue to lean on and need. And he's just going to have to continue to play like a really integral role in the offense, but he's fully capable. And like you noted, I mean, he was not the strongest in the spring, did not open the season particularly well, but you know, it's one of those guys that is just totally committed to succeeding and, and, you know, um, there have been some really great pieces written about him, you know, in the last month or so, just about his character and who he is as a person. And, mm. you know, some of those things really do matter, like when when the going gets tough, like what kind of person are you? And I think Escobar is the kind of guy that, you know, takes it, you know, can can take it, let it roll off and, and, and pick it up the next day. And it, I don't think it bothers him too much. I think he's just a real... A real competitor like in all senses and he's an awesome awesome guy on this team and, and a cool guy to root for so i'm really happy for for him on a personal level but the team needs i mean he does not have to hit you know 429 the rest of the season but they're gonna need him to you know continue to be a big a big part of the middle of that lineup
0: speaking of the diamondbacks offense uh, this is a bit of a unexpected turn maybe but zach granke uh once again tripled in his last start, he is currently hitting 462 <laughs> with an OPS just under 2,000. You want to talk about the more analytics-type-based stats. And Zach Granke, at least recently, I haven't looked at it uh, too uh, recently, Jeff, but I saw at one point that Zach Granke was leading the National League in barrel rate. Uh, I think it was minimum <laughs> 13 plate appearances at the time. Uh, but all the same, Granke has been a force to be reckoned with at the plate uh, this season and in his last start on the mound I think Greinke might have uh, really turned a corner at least he gave the Diamondbacks maybe a, a start an outing that he really hasn't given them up to this point he went seven innings against the Pirates uh, didn't allow a run struck out seven I believe he had retired almost I think it was about 14 consecutive batters uh, at one point to conclude that start um, so Zach Granke I think at the moment is looking every bit like the ace that the Diamondbacks need him to be. He is undoubtedly an important part of this team. And Jeff, something I tweeted today, this is uh, a bit of a, a more fun tidbit that I picked out today. I'm curious your opinions on it. Zach Greinke is probably not the best pitcher in the National League anymore at the ripe old age of 35. I think that ship has probably sailed at this point. He's still a very good starter, probably not the best in the league. But you want to talk about his fielding, and his hitting, and his base running, and I don't know if those, you know, those things are necessarily key things you want out of a starting pitcher, but I would be hard-pressed to find a starting pitcher in the game of baseball who does those three things better than Zach Granke.
1: Yeah, I agree, I mean, it's, it's like, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a bonus, um, you Know on the cumul- cumulative value, it's a small bonus, but it's a bonus nonetheless, and it's a fun bonus,
0: <laughs> it is a
1: super fun bonus. Um, yeah, the triple's awesome. I mean, you know, no offense to Eduardo Escobar, I'd have given Zach Cranky uh NL Offensive Player of the Week, uh, <laughs> just, just for the fun factor of, uh, of what he was doing, but yeah, no, I, I he's such a well rounded player and just someone who understands the game, right? And I think. You know, going back to the point about Escobar being sort of that veteran, that guy that knows how to sort of get it back. I mean, with Granke, it's it's the same thing. I mean, it was like just a total case of like hide your eyes in that first start. Um, it was ugly, but you also knew that he would, you know, get it back to some degree. So he's still like he's still doing his thing. And if you watch him, I mean, he's just I, I would I would encourage listeners next time he takes the mound, you know, tonight to really look. Um, you know where his catcher sets up, and his ability to to hit the glove or or, or miss in his favor, um, it's it's outstanding. Uh, it's yeah. it's absolutely outstanding. And then, you know, if you have a chance uh, to catch the next Robbie Ray start, maybe compare and contrast <laughs> those two things. Um, because I mean, both guys are capable of succeeding, but they do it in very different ways. And so, for Granky, it's just uh like. I saw a sequence of him just like painting the outside black with like a 90 mile an hour fastball that, you know, the hitter takes and it's, you know, it's strike two. And then, you know, with two strikes on the hitter, he goes right back to the similar location, but he throws, you know, the hard 87 mile an hour change up and the pitch just moves enough off the black that the, the batter swings, you know, and misses it. And it's like, I mean, that whole thing was planned out in advance. I mean, they knew exactly what they wanted to do. They knew exactly where they wanted to go. And the difference with Zach Greinke is he can do it. I mean, he can make it happen. And not very many pitchers have that that ability. So, you know, it's it's super fun to see him field his position as well as he does. I mean, he's like, he really is like having an extra infielder in the infield. Um, yeah. And he will run the bases well. But, you know, his his ability to pitch is still what pays him and, um, he's not been letting us down lately, which is awesome.
0: I think what amazes me about Granke is people talk about the velocity just continuing to drop, and that has, yeah. by all accounts, been the same thing this year. I think he's around a mile an hour or so um, below where he was last year with the fastball, but it, it just doesn't really even seem to matter anymore. Uh, you talk about Kai, <laughs> he throws four pitches, he throws them all extremely well. I think we've seen stints of his career as a member of the Diamondbacks, where his changeup has been his best pitch, where his slider has been his best pitch, and when his curveball has been his best pitch. He's gone through phases, if you will, of each of those uh, secondary pitches being his best offering, and I think he's just that versatile and that, um, that able to get batters out in a lot of ways that other pitchers just can't do. And it almost seems like as the fastball velocity continues to drop, you know, for most pitchers, you want your fastball and your changeup to have a sizable velocity difference between them. And yeah. for Granke, it's hilarious because sometimes it is. his changeup literally comes in faster than his fastball. <laughs> but, it, but it, it, I mean, it, it poses a whole other problem for the hitter because you got two pitches that from a timing standpoint, you have to play them the same way but one of them is a relatively straight pitch and the other one just completely falls off the table. And, and for a hitter, I just, I can't even imagine what that's like.
1: Yeah. I think, I think velocity is, you know, it's all relative in a sense where, you know, if you've seen Granky for an at bat, you're going up for your second one. You're like, okay, it's not, you know, it's not ripping up there at 98, but it really doesn't matter because he's still going to put it where he wants it. And so, yeah, like you said, I mean, it's hard to tell his pitches apart. He tunnels everything very well. He can aim at the same location with different pitch types, and they're going to move differently. I mean, he's just – it's its really masterful. I mean, it really is. And I think, you know, one of the things that, you know, benefits him the most is he just – he throws a lot of competitive pitches, whether they're balls or strikes, but they are, they're competitive. They're putting the batter in a reactionary position where they can't just take the pitch. Um, and he doesn't miss like middle, middle very often. I mean, he just, he doesn't like, he doesn't have the stuff to get away with that. Um, and batters in the majors, I mean, will absolutely punish mistakes and he does not make them over the plate. He may, uh, spike a curveball when he didn't really mean to you, or he may run that change up out of the zone or the slider, you know, out of the zone to the glove side, but he's he's gonna miss in a way that doesn't expose him. And uh you again, you, you compare it with someone who lives more on stuff than than uh you know the ability to control and command their pitches and it just looks totally different. It's I don't know. I mean it's one thing to get blown away by like 98 mile an hour heat at the letters. It's another thing to just like, you know, take a 89 mile an hour fastball in the corner and have to like walk back to the dugout. And you're like, I wonder what that batter is thinking right now. Like he just (laughs) got rung up on 89 on the corner and he's just like, I bet that batter is more upset that he struck out on the 89 mile an hour fastball (laughs) blown away than the guy that got blown away by 98 of the letters. I bet he's more pissed about that.
0: Oh, absolutely. Uh, Shifting gears uh, just a little bit here on the Rattle Podcast. If anyone knows the Diamondbacks farm system well, it is my co-host, Jeff Weiser. Um, And so in this show, as in uh, pretty much all of our shows here on the Rattle, I want to give Jeff um, a shot to just kind of go through some of the Diamondbacks' notable performances as of late in their farm system. Jeff, I saw you... Um, tweeting recently about Jimmy Shurphy and what he's been able to do at the AAA level has been really impressive. Maybe a candidate to be called up at some point in the near future, uh, Dalton Varsho, I know has also performed well as of late. And, and to be honest, folks, the reason that I know these things is because I follow Jeff on Twitter um, and I read his hashtag d tweets that he comes out with every morning. I suggest you do the same. Um, but with that said, uh, Jeff, go ahead and take it away and, and give us a... Um, a little bit of a spectacle of, of what the Diamondbacks farm system has looked like as of late.
1: Yeah, I think one of the, one of the cool things that's happened here in the last little while, uh, in the last week or so, is there have been a few names added to the Kane County roster down in single A full season ball. So um, a few of the younger guys are working from extended spring training and have now worked their way up uh, into sort of you know playing for one of the affiliates. So uh, third baseman Buddy Kennedy is there now. Uh, and he has performed really well in a very, very short stint. And another guy I think that a lot of people are excited about is shortstop Blaze Alexander, who uh, is also now up at Kane County after being picked as a high schooler uh, last summer. So, you know, I think it's it's notable in a sense that Kennedy is a year older than Alexander. Um, but thinking about Alexander a little bit, you know, the Diamondbacks obviously weren't able to sign their first round pick, Matt McLean. Uh, who they drafted as a shortstop. He ended up going to college, playing for UCLA, who is um, by many outlets ranked as the best college baseball team in the country this year. Um, And McLean has has been like an everyday guy for the Bruins, uh, but they moved him immediately to center field, and he has not hit well at all. Hmm. Um, And so I think the Diamondbacks actually sort of – you know, soften the blow a little bit by going over slot on blaze Alexander in the 11th round of the draft last year. Uh, and he has quickly made an impact, um, and jumped, you know, started exciting scouts and started like jumping onto lists as a guy with, um, big power potential, um, a cannon of an arm at shortstop. And like, if he has to slide off the position to to third base someday, he could definitely do that and be a very athletic third baseman. So, um, I'm, I'm a little bummed because I didn't really get to, uh, see him at all at Hillsboro. He basically played a few games in the pioneer league, uh, to close out 2018 and then has now jumped the full season ball, which is a pretty aggressive promotion. So Hmm. some of those things, you know, it's, it's easy to read into them too much, but the organization must have some, uh, confidence in, in his ability to handle that. And so, uh, that's, that's certainly a good sign. Um, a guy that maybe is a little less uh, a, a little less glowing start to the year is is uh, Taylor Widener, um, who's pitched at Triple A Reno, and has really really struggled. Um, yeah. He has he has had a pretty tough pretty tough start to his year. He's made six starts uh, excuse me five starts and given up six home runs in those five starts. Um, you know that's tough because it's you know it's it's Reno it's the PCL right. and of note. Um, For anyone that's not been kind of following the, um, you know, conspiracy theories around the baseball this year, uh, the triple a level of baseball is now using the major league baseball. And so home run rates are up across both triple a leagues, uh, the PCL and the international league big time. So, Mm. you know, it's in a sense that's bad. Um, in another sense, it's maybe explainable in some ways, but he'd obviously like to keep the ball in the park. So, um, and he's also been burned big time by walks I mean, he's walked 10 guys in less than 20 innings. So he's had a pretty tough start to the year and he's a guy that I think we all thought we would see at some point this year. So we'll have to kind of monitor his situation as it, as it moves along. Um, Jimmy Sherfy has been quite good and it looks like he is, um, you know, pretty close to, you know, just really just kind of like waiting for a chance. Um, and so I sort of think I got a question on Twitter about, like, what does a guy like Scherfee need to do to stick? And, you know, I think the elite relief pitchers, you know, come up and pretty much stay up. But for the rest of them, you know, they're going to be up and down guys because the organization has those three option years to, you know, move the player up and down, you know, as needed based on the roster. And I think a guy like Scherfee falls, you know, kind of prey to that strategy in the, in the sense where if they can move him back and forth and it allows them to keep another guy who maybe doesn't have any options around, then they're going to do that. And it's, it's about managing like the, the talent of the 40 man roster, you know, just as much or more so even in some cases than managing just the 25 man roster. So we have to kind of think big picture there. And the last note I'll pass along is um, I'm hoping next month um, here in May to make a trip or two to Visalia, I'll be in the area, um, kind of you know mid month, and so I'm I'm excited to go down and, and hopefully catch a rawhide game or two. So stay tuned. Uh, may have some some good content there uh, coming to the Rattle soon uh, from from Visalia, the, the booming metropolis of Visalia, California.
0: Oh, absolutely, it is it is booming. I was there a couple <laughs> years ago, and uh, you know I mean you've got Sequoia National Park right there, so I actually. I actually do have some respect for Visalia for that reason, Um, but I digress. Another prospect in the Diamondbacks' system that um, has has received a lot of play, and and rightfully so, is John Duplantier, and I think he is very quickly starting to earn the hearts of Arizona Diamondbacks fans, uh, especially because of what he did in his last outing against the Chicago Cubs, a game that the Diamondbacks admittedly did lose in 15 innings, um, but John Duplantier showed some major guts in that outing. There was a point, uh, I believe it was it was the 13th inning, I want to say, when John Duplantier, or maybe it might have been earlier, might have been the 12th inning, um, but Duplantier was facing the bases loaded, coming up against the middle of the Chicago Cubs lineup, and somehow a strikeout, a pop up, and an incredible fielder's choice by Nick Ahmed. Um, later, and Duplantier was out of the inning, and that really seemed to be the spot in the game, in an extra inning game, where the Diamondbacks thought they were going to be done, and Duplantier stuck it out against some of the best hitters in baseball, Um, and I think it was really telling of of just who he is as a person, and what he's all about, and and you saw some some good stuff in that game, the four-seamer, the two-seamer. Uh, both looked looked pretty good, it seemed like he had pretty decent command of his fastball, uh, and then on top of that, a, a change-up and a curveball, the occasional slider, um, he showed some pretty good stuff against the Chicago Cubs, and I know the Diamondbacks did just send him back to AAA, which personally I didn't see as that significant of a move because he was so gassed after that outing against the Cubs <laughs> that he probably yeah. wouldn't be able to pitch for for quite some time at the major league level. But nonetheless, this is a guy who I think we're going to see back very soon at the big league level. And, and I think he might be here to stay.
1: Yeah, I agree. He's gonna, you know, they're, they're, sort of in a, in a tough spot with him where they're having to balance the needs of the current 25 man roster and sort of what's needed. They've had, like you said, some of these, you know, marathon games or games where they've needed some length out of the bullpen. Um, and then also managing him as a starter, which they'd like to continue to get him stretched out and have him be uh, a rotation option. So I think it's a really, if you think about, you know, kind of from a player development standpoint, a tough spot to be in with uh, with John as, as they they have a need and he's clearly capable of helping them. But at the same time, they're trying to like manage him for the future. So uh, it, it's a little tricky uh, I think that it's. I think that it's hard, and I think that's probably you know part of why he was sent down. Is they, you know, ideally would like to, you know, get TJ McFarlane back, be able to soak up some of these innings, um, you know, get some longer outings from their starters or continue to do so. As they've they've had a decent run of that, um, and so if they could, you know, continue to do that and, and allow him the, the time and space to stretch back out and get you know get back to being capable of throwing like you know 100 pitches in the night. Um, I think that'd be preferable, but. Uh, the may meet the road in a sense where that, you know, that goal or that strategy has to go out the window in order for the big league club to stay in contention. And so he's going to be a really fascinating case study as to, to how they continue to manage that. And, you know, at some point, you know, is it just like, Hey, he's, he's going to go down and he's going to stay there. Um, and if we need the longer innings, we'll let Taylor Clark pick them up or something like that. So uh, I'm not sure, but he's, he's, you know, really proven himself capable of, of helping Um, you know, his, his strikes he's, he's thrown, you know, plenty of balls, um, you know, but he, his, his strike to ball rate isn't like stellar, but everything moves for him. And and he's been awfully hard to hit. I mean, in eight innings, he's only given up three hits. So um, I I think that part of it, we have to really like and and be encouraged by, and, and I'm sure his confidence continues to grow with every outing too.
0: A question we were asked actually a couple weeks ago by Matthew, um, so apologies to Matthew because uh, this is a question we unfortunately didn't get to in our last couple of shows, but I wanted to make sure we hit on it today. Uh, Matthew asked, what would it take to get Duplantier or Widener called up as starters with Taiwan Walker coming back soon? And uh, Jeff, you mentioned the pitch count issue with Duplantier. He's not stretched out as you would normally expect him to be at this point in the season, and then you also talked earlier about Taylor Widener and, and the fact that he just has not really looked like the same guy, which, albeit, I think when pitchers make the jump from A AA to AAA, I think that that can happen, especially for the Diamondbacks with uh, their AAA team based out of Reno and, and of course, the, the enormous hitter-type environment that we've seen in the PCL. Um, but do you think either of these guys are legitimate candidates to serve as starters with the Diamondbacks at some point this year?
1: I think so. I think for, I think we covered it with DePlantier that it's going to be a matter of giving him the time and space to get stretched out to do so. Right. Um, but he's capable. I think Widener, you know, obviously it's, he's made five starts. Like you're not going to close the book on that just yet. Um, so, so that's a little bit of a, of a different scenario, but um yeah, I think that both of them are capable of doing so. You know, Widener's pitch counts have been up there enough that it looks like he has, you know, plenty of capacity to um, to pitch, you know, out of the big league rotation. So that's, you know, that's encouraging. The thing that's working against Widener is that he's not on the team's 40-man roster at the moment, so someone has to get the boot in order for him to come up and that's something that the team's probably going to be a little reluctant to do until they're forced to do so. So I think that sort of works against him plus his track record, you know, so far this year hasn't been great. Um, You know, and you can see it, you know, there's kind of a relationship there between like, Oh, look when he's, you know, he's given up some home runs, he starts walking guys. It's like, does he start being a little tentative in the strike zone? You know, that's just not going to work at the major league level. So, You know, there's probably like one more hurdle for him to clear, you know, before he's really ready. But um, depending on how this team, you know, continues to carry itself through May, June, and July, uh, it would not be a shock to see these guys, you know, come up and get a chance. Injuries are going to happen. Um, You know, they're about to get Taiwan Walker back, but the thought that you're going to keep the rest of the guys healthy all season is, is probably naive. So, whether they're ready or not, uh, <laughs> they may get their turn, you know, ready or not. So, I mean, you can envision a scenario, right, where um, if TJ McFarland just had some rest, like John DePlantier comes up and throws three or four innings. Um, and then TJ McFarland is planned to come in and throw, you know, f- you know, two, three innings afterwards, you kind of mix that righty lefty matchup, you know, you know, in a way to sort of mitigate the fact that DePlante can't go super deep if he's not stretched out yet. So I think there's some ways to do it in which, um, in which they can make it work where these guys do, you know, assume the role of a starter and let's not forget Taylor Clark. I mean, he is on the 40 man and depending on how things line up, like, when they need a starter. I mean, a lot of it depends on when these guys are thrown. So, you know, if they need a starter on Thursday, you know, someone gets hurt in Wednesday night's game, they need a starter, um, you know, coming up and, and, and they can't, you know, make the days of rest work. Like maybe it's Clark instead of DePlantier. So uh, there's like that whole logistical piece of it as well.
0: Another guy on the Diamondbacks who has uh, fulfilled roles like the ones that you're talking about, you know, guys who, um, start on occasion or guys who, who come out of the bullpen and, and give you a few innings there is Matt Cook. Um, we actually we got a question recently from Giancarlo um, who um, asked a question about Cook which, which I won't address for the sole reason that, that Matt Cook has now been DFA'd uh, by the Arizona Diamondbacks so he is no longer uh, on the 25-man roster here. and 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 Cook is is an interesting case uh because this is a guy who Jeff we were talking before the show you know every baseball team has that guy who's gonna get kicked in the teeth when things aren't going well someone's gonna take the hit for your team on occasion out of the bullpen and Matt Cook has filled that role for the Diamondbacks and the numbers obviously in his time here especially this season uh have not looked good whatsoever I believe he uh, he leaves this roster with an ERA still north of nine. Uh so by no means were the results good um with the Diamondbacks in his stint here, but at the same time you've got to give uh at least some respect to a guy who has filled a a role that really no one wants to fill on a baseball team.
1: Absolutely, yeah, and I, I know that you know his teammates respected him for, for taking that role and taking that job and just you know, having to go out there and just like gut out some appearances that were really long in games that they were down by a lot, you know, understanding that, you know, his job was really just to sit out there and throw as many pitches as it took to reach, you know, <laughs> the last out of the ninth inning. And right. and that's got to be tough. So, um, you know, I know, like I said before, his teammates definitely, um, you know, picked him up and respected him for that. And, you know, to my knowledge, I don't think anyone's claimed him on waivers. Uh, so, there's a chance that he stays in the organization. I'm not sure that someone's going to, you know, he's out of, he's obviously out of options, which is why he was DFA in the first place. So I don't know if, um, anyone's really going to jump to, uh, acquire Matt cook and then, you know, uh, try to send him down because he get exposed to waivers again. So he's going to be stuck in that kind of, you know, transactional purgatory perhaps for a little bit, but, I think there's a scenario in which he ends up back with the organization and, you know, his role is his role. His stuff is his stuff. He's, you know, we kind of know who he is. And unfortunately for him, like this is kind of where his big league career is kind of settled out. But, um, you know, it's he was he was valuable in his own way in the sense that, you know, the 20 innings that he pitched are 20 innings that other guys didn't have to pitch. And honestly, that was his job. and, And he did it.
0: Before we finish off this episode of The Rattle Podcast, uh, one more thing that we want to hit on real quick is an article that Jeff wrote yesterday, which you can find over at therattle.net. And uh, Jeff, I wanted to talk a, a little bit about what you wrote. I'll give a, a, a brief preview. Um, the Diamondbacks sure. destroy uh, opposing bullpens. And this is something that I've I've seen. I'm not sure exactly who it was, but I've seen this uh, talked about on Twitter uh, a few times by a few different people who have noticed this. Um, and and this is really how the Diamondbacks have made their living this season. You want to look at, at a lot of these games that they have won. They're not doing their damage against the starting pitcher. They're trying to get the starting pitcher out of the game. And once they do, they're capitalizing on the opposing team's bullpen. And it has worked out very nicely for the Diamondbacks. But what you uncovered... In your article is that the Diamondbacks aren't really alone in doing this.
1: No, they're not. I mean, their OPS is more than 100 points higher um, in innings six through nine, which are the innings we would expect to find relief pitchers throwing. Um, So for whatever reason, they've just just crushed, Um, you know, later in ball games. And, you know, the seventh inning has been like especially fruitful um, for whatever reason. So they just continue to pile it on it. And I thought that was so, so strange. Um, And then a colleague of mine, baseball prospectus, Rob Arthur, who's uh, much smarter than I am, uh, wrote a great piece about how uh, relievers across baseball are being used differently this season uh, than they have in the past. And, you know that trend has sort of been developing but i think we've seen it really take hold like more broadly um here in 2019 where relievers are being asked to throw multiple innings more often we're seeing fewer and fewer of the like one inning ace um fewer bullpens that have like the seventh inning guy the eighth inning guy and the closer uh we're just not seeing that happen nearly as much and i think part of it is you know uh Teams trying to limit exposure that third time through the order for their starters, and starters are getting the hook a little more frequently. And they're kind of looking for that guy with a little length to kind of bridge to the back of the bullpen. And, and we didn't like. I made the point, of the piece, but we don't have to look very far to see that. I mean, the Diamondbacks have that in and Matt Andrees. He's that guy that can come in uh, with two outs in the fifth inning, record an out, go sixth inning. If he survives and does well, depending on the matchup, he may start the seventh inning uh, rather than just you know turning it over to to Yoshi or Archie or something. So, I think we're seeing some of that, and and with with some of that quantity has come a reduced uh, quality, if you will, and we're starting to see the the bullpens just kind of you know we're, we've maybe maybe baseball has pushed so far in that direction that now. Um, you know, reliever ERAs are, are starting to exceed starter ERAs for the first time in a very, very long time, at least mm-hmm. at this early juncture of 2019. So what do we take from that? I mean, I you know, the Diamondbacks have done their damage, but so has the rest of baseball to a degree. So, you know, as I, that ERA trend kind of encapsulates. So um, it's not entirely unique to the D-backs, although I would say that they, by and large, have been far better at it than most teams Uh But it is something that is happening more broadly as well.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to this fourth episode of The Rattle Podcast. We, as always, really appreciate it. Be sure to check out our website at www.therattle.net where you can read Jeff's piece as well as some other uh, new and exciting content that we have coming out shortly. If you have not already, as well, be sure to follow us on Twitter at TheRattleAZ, where you can uh, keep it locked to our podcast and our articles and get it all right when it comes out. So be sure to do that as well. Thank you once again so much for listening. For Jeff Weiser, I'm Jesse Friedman, and we will see you once again here on the Rattle Podcast next week.